formed. So formation is for service and service is also for formation. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Nathaniel Williams. In today's episode, we'll talk with Drs. Jamie and Tara Dew about serving. Just those two human beings, Jamie and Tara, have a remarkable number of doctorates just between the two of them. Multiple. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. But we're, we're so thrilled to have them speaking with us today. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, like news, sports, pop culture, or business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about school shootings. A few weeks ago, there was another tragic school shooting, this time at a Christian school in Nashville. Dr. Keithley, what's going on with all of these school shootings, and how can we pray and serve in light of this tragic event? A school shooting is an act of terrorism. It's not just simply gun violence. It's done in a particular way to a particular community. Uh, As someone who is in the educational field and someone who has grandchildren in the school systems, I think about this very seriously, and I think, I think most, most Americans do. But it's designed to do that. These are actions designed for whatever reason. And whenever you look at the individuals who do this sort of thing, uh, there is a spectrum of motivations and statements that they're trying to make. Um, we do need to ask ourselves why it is that we in the United States of America have this kind of problem unlike uh, any other modern society uh, in Western and Eastern culture. Let me just give a few statistics that I think will help zoom out just a little bit and put it in perspective. The number of unintentional firearm injuries last year, according to the CDC, was more than 27,000. In other words, of the people who arrived at an urgent care emergency room, uh, over 27,000 of them arrived with some type of non-fatal gunshot. The number of homicides per year by firearms last year was 20,958. And here is a number that truly is disturbing. Last year, the number of firearm suicides was 26,000. 328. Put those numbers together, and we have over 80,000 injuries and deaths by firearms uh, every year. That's, that's well over 1,000 every week. But because it doesn't make the news media, because it's not on cable news, it, doesn't, it isn't as flashy, here we have a horrific crisis that continues to fly under the radar. I do think that we need to ask ourselves why this is so, why this is happening to us and and not in other nations. And I think there's a few, and I say not not other nations, there are other countries that that have 
high murder rates and things of that nature. I'm thinking of certain countries in South and Central America, but we can, we can identify the kind of things that are happening there. We, as Americans, have the Second Amendment. And let me just say, as a gun owner, I, I am glad that we have the Second Amendment, and I affirm uh, the thinking of the founding fathers behind it. However, we, I think that any reasonable person would have to say that what is going on is not something that the founding fathers uh, would have hoped for and would have approved. I think no rational person could say, this is how we want our country to be. So I do think that it is time for uh, us to be the grown-ups in the room and try to step back from the political posturing and the performative. I mean, people can point out that um, if we banned assault weapons, this would not take care of the problems that I just cited to you. Uh, those tens of thousands of injuries, almost none of them were caused by an assault weapon. In fact, a remarkable number of them were, were committed by handguns. Uh, and so it isn't just simply the banning of a certain weapon. It makes us feel better, but we do need to sit back and say, okay, what can be done? And even in a country that has a constitutional guarantee of firearms, we, we realize that that's not an absolute. Um, in our country, it's illegal to have a bazooka or a machine gun or a grenade launcher. I mean, just go down the list. Everyone draws a line somewhere. Well, well sure, sure. And so let's take a look. And, and the things that we can do, there are reasonable things. I think that there are reasonable things we can do about mental health and the access to weapons uh, for those who are mentally ill. There are, there are some real steps we could take there. There's some steps we could take about the capacity of some of these weapons. Assault, okay, I don't think the AR-15 is not the most deadly gun in terms, I mean, a 30 6 will do much more damage to, to a human body uh, than, than, a, than a bullet from an AR-15. The difference is AR-15 may have a magazine of 60 rounds, and, and this is a very different thing. So there are some things that we can do if we will be um, reasonable, not posturing, not listening to the extreme voices on each end of the spectrum. There are some grown-up things we can do, both in the area of gun regulation and in the area of mental health. And I think that it is time uh, that Christians do step up and be leading voices. You know what I'd like to see? Uh, Penny and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, I would love to see something, uh, a movement among Christian women similar to what happened during the time of Prohibition. Now, I'm not saying that everything went right with, uh, with, uh, with Prohibition, but that was a, a movement of Christian women who cared deeply about a, a moral crisis in our country. Same thing goes for things like Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the tremendous progress that they have made uh, in terms of, of addressing and stigmatizing the idea of drinking while driving. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a, a, an organization of Christian women who were able to cut through the politics and deal with the real human need that we have, that we want to protect our children, it's a reasonable thing to want our kids to go to school and be safe while they're there. So we need to step up to the plate. 
uh, as Christians, we need to take the lead on this and not simply be responding. And we need to not simply be controlled by whatever PAC or political action committee or uh, whatever uh, organization that wants our money and our votes. There are ways that we can address this uh, in a way that I think can model uh, Christian activism uh, that is balanced, mature, and wise. What's the big deal with service? We're delighted to have with us on the podcast today, Drs. Jamie and Tara Dew. The Dew spent many, many years at Southeastern Seminary. Now they're serving our sister seminary, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where Jamie serves as the president. And they are also among the most well-educated couples probably on the planet with three PhDs between them. And they're also uh, raising two sets of twins, which is absolutely remarkable. So thank you guys both for being on the podcast you today. Bet. Glad, Glad to be, be here. here. Let me start with you, Jamie. In your office, you mm-hmm. have a towel and a basin displayed kind of right there near the entrance to your office. Mm. Yeah. Why do you have those things there? So when I came in uh, over the last, I'd say, 15 years, the Lord has just really um, impressed more and more on my heart that I'm called to be a servant. Uh, academic folks, by our very nature, if we're not careful, can become very prideful, can become very arrogant. I've certainly become all of those things in my career. And um, the Lord just very kindly and very graciously broke my heart over that, uh, starting about, about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. And it all really, by the time this whole presidency at NOBTS came along, my time at Southeastern being done, it had just so galvanized and crystallized in my mind that when I walked into the door for my interviews at, for, for this role, the vision that I cast for our school was that we would be a generation of servants, that if we're called to do anything, if we're called to be anything as Christians, we're supposed to be servants. I mean, this is this is Paul's call on us in Philippians 2. You know, we're called to this humility and this selflessness and the care for other brothers and sisters. He gives us the example of Jesus himself that let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He goes on to describe how he's God, and yet he humbles himself as a man. So that's the call we're called into. Jesus himself called us into it in Mark chapter 10. The James and John are trying to be great. They want to sit <laughs> on the right and left. And he basically talks to them about drinking from his cup and being baptized with his baptism. And then says to his disciples, to all 12 of them, the Gentiles lord over. But it will not be so among you. Whoever will be the greatest among you should be the servant. And then he points to himself. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, of course, models this in the actual event in John 13 of the towel in the basin where he, not anybody else, he, the Lord of the universe, stooped and washed the disciples' feet. So, you know, over the last 15 years, the Lord's just made that clearer and clearer to me. And he's also satisfied my heart in such a way that, man, I, I just want to do whatever he's calling me to do. And so coming in here at NBTS, this was what we were going to do. Now, the lovely thing, the God-orchestrated thing that I could have never seen is that when I got here, this is who the people of NBTS already were. So it wasn't like, you know, 
you know, BTS was one thing. Do comes in with this heart for servanthood, and now we're all servants. That's not how it worked. <laughs> uh, what I saw was that um, the Lord, in His wisdom and knowledge of who I was and who these people were, brought together the the perfect couple, so to speak, between us and them. And uh, we walk in that. We, I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm not saying we we have conquered this, but I'm, but that's who we strive to be every single day. And there's something about having a visual reminder that's there right. that, that helps right. that helps remind you this is what I'm calling myself that's correct. called to that's do. Correct. Yeah. It's, that's what I'm called to be, and that's how I'm called to lead. Yeah, and model for them. Tara, this all sounds really good. You know, we all want to be servants, but it, let's be honest, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> how do we cultivate this in our lives? I think uh, the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we know him through his word, the more we want to become like him. And when you look at our Savior in Scripture, his eyes were always on the weak, the marginalized, the oppressed, and he would look on the crowds with compassion, and then he would touch the one or heal the one. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can get really overwhelmed with the need around us, the brokenness around us. But when we see our Savior and what he did, and we desire to follow that, then you begin to put into practice the things that he did. And so you pray that you would love people the way he loved people, that you would see the weak, the marginalized, the broken, and that you could meet the need for that one today. And so I think that it's something that um, definitely here at NOBTS, it is a drum that Jamie beats almost in every chapel Mm. service, in every podcast. There's actually a podcast called The Towel in the Basin. Very appropriate. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, You know, in everything that he tells the NOBTS family, he's constantly reminding them of this call to servanthood. Um, but I think it's also something that we as a couple and as a family, we try to put into practice and pray that that's contagious for the people around us. What does that look like in your family? Cause again, you're, you're raising two sets of twins, which yeah. is remarkable. How do you cultivate that in your family as well with your kids? Yeah. So I can remember when we told them that there was a search committee looking at daddy as the president, Uh, one of the first questions that our kids asked was, does New Orleans need missionaries? And so Jamie's like, "Uh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) And and so they were like, okay. And then um, our youngest daughter, Samantha, she said, I can see how God can use mommy and daddy, but how can he use just me as a nine-year-old girl at the time? And I love Jamie's answer. He said, you know what it's like to have a mom and dad in ministry. He said, do you think that you could maybe help some of the other kids that come to live on that campus that are learning what it means to have a mom and dad in ministry? And she thought for a minute and then she said, yeah, I think I can do that. And so from the time that we moved here three years ago, we have tried to remind our kids, you are missionaries and God's going to use you here on this campus and in this city even as 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, you know? And so I think as parents, um, not only praying that for yourself and modeling it in your own life, but then inviting your children to be on mission with you. More is caught than taught with our kids. And so if they come alongside mom and dad ministering and mom and dad serving and they're seeing that church is not something that we do because of obligation but because we love worshiping jesus if they see us reading our bibles and praying and 
begging God to open our eyes where he's working and let us join him there, begging God for opportunities to serve the people that are around us. That's something that's contagious and they're going to catch it. And we're not perfect parents by any Mm -hmm. means, but I praise the Lord that our four kids feel like they're in ministry with us because they are. That's really cool. That's really cool. So I'm a pastor as well. And I've noticed that my kids in their own unique ways want to hop in and serve. So Mm -hmm. my, my daughter loves doing art. And so when I'm going on visits for for shut-ins and stuff, like she gives me little pieces of art she'd done to take to the older folks. And they love it. They love it. My four-year-old just decided one day he's going to pass out bulletins. (laughs) (laughs) He grabbed the bulletins and he started passing them out. So I think um, kids want to have meaningful roles in the church. And if we want our kids to love Jesus forever and stay involved in the church, then no matter what age they are, Give them a meaningful role and responsibility in the church. They're yeah. part of the body of Christ, too. Yeah. And so I love that you're incorporating your kids into that. And I tell parents all the time, be creative. What can they do? Don't ask what they can't do. Think what they can do. Yeah. And I just think it's crucial for their spiritual formation, not only to see mom and dad doing it, but then to be brought in alongside and to do it with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jamie, there's a sense in which all of us are called to serve generally. Sure. Uh, but God also calls us to serve with the towel in the basin in very specific ways sometimes, right. very specific callings, vocations, whatever you want to call it. How can we discern hmm. the right avenues for us to serve and where to serve and how hmm. to serve? Oh, great question. So um, I, I talk to a lot of college students who are wrestling with a call to ministry in some way. So I talk about this this kind of thing a lot. I, I think, you know, when I talk to them, I always say, you know, discerning this is a spiritual sense. Let's just call it what it is. So, you know, almost anybody that feels called would articulate it along the line something like, I just sense that the Lord or I feel like God's wanting me to do this, that, or the other. So how do you feel it the right way? I emphasize essentially five little things, and I don't mean for this to be formulaic, but I think at the end of the day, all of us that have discerned this, it's something like these things. So number one, start with Scripture. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is, if the Bible calls people to it, then it could very well be the kind of thing He's calling you to. If the Bible prohibits certain things, then He's not calling Mm -hmm. you to do it. So always start there as a general frame of reference. As it turns out, the Bible actually does talk a lot about different kinds of gifts in the church and how God has built the the diversity in the church. So we've got lots of material there to explore. It even talks about the kinds of character and the kinds of qualifications that are necessary for people in specific roles. So start with Scripture, number one. Number two, I think this is key, sustained seasons of submission. You don't base things off of a mountaintop experience. You Mm. went to a camp or a retreat or something like that. Praise God for those moments. Have those moments. But I'm a big I'm a big believer that you don't make major life decisions out of deep emotions, positively uh, yeah. or negative. Yeah. What you're looking for are sustained seasons of submission. So over a long period of time, as you've constantly, in a sustained way, given your life repeatedly, again and again and again in submission to God, the Bible tells us He rewires our hearts, He reshapes our hearts, and He will give us His desires in our hearts. So start with Scripture sustained seasons of submission. Thirdly, active service now. When I was 18 years old and came to the Lord and started serving, sensing a call, man, if my church said, we need volunteers to do X, 
I was in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That could be help out with children's ministry. That could be singing the youth choir. That could be come to a serve day on campus. That could be go to, to Kenya on a mission trip. That could be participate in a youth service. My answer was yes. Start serving now, and then that's going to, those last two, sustained seasons of submission, along with active service now, is going to lead to a fourth thing, and that is cultivated passions and burdens. After you've done that, where you've really, over a long period of time, just constantly giving your life to the Lord in submission, and you've been involved serving, what will inevitably happen is that there will be certain kinds of passions and burdens that God himself is just going to cultivate in your heart. So for me, for example, over time, there was just a boiling, raging passion in my soul to preach. And Mm. I I didn't ask for it. I didn't look for it. It was just, I'd read the Bible and I'd see what it was saying. And I felt like I just had to communicate that Mm. with these people over here. So cultivated passions. And then the last one, confirmation of the body. Mm. And by the body, I mean the church. What will happen is if you're doing that, sustained seasons of submission, and you're obviously paying attention to what the Scripture says, and you're actively serving, and you've got these burdens and passions that are forming, what will happen is the body of Christ will directly and indirectly start confirming what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. There will be people in your life that will pull you aside and say, have you ever thought about doing this? Almost (laughs) every pastor I know, every faculty member I know, every Christian minister I know can tell their stories about people in their life that pulled them aside and said, I could see God doing this in you. Mm. And that's that's a confirmation from the body of Christ. It also happens indirectly, meaning... Even if they don't come up to you and say, hey, have you ever thought about being a pastor? What they will do is ask you to start doing certain kinds of things. So, for instance, the church, and I mean that broadly, the big church, in all the little C churches I've always been in, the church never asks me to lead worship. <laughs> you know? It just doesn't. Yeah. And I'm cool with that. I'm totally 100% cool with that. Uh, and it's really good that they don't because I don't think I would do well in that. I think the church would struggle if I were the guy doing that. But by contrast, every single church I have been in since I came to faith in Christ, without me seeking it, without me going after it, indirectly at some point ends up asking me to preach. Hmm. And I am the consistently, it's uncanny, it's stunning a little bit, the church is always looking to me to open the word and speak to the people. And, you know, I take that as providential. I take that as a sign from the Lord that the body of Christ is speaking to me now about what God is doing in my life and what I can do to help the kingdom. Yeah. So I think those something like the and, and, and yeah. different people may articulate that in different ways. But I think those five things roughly are what's going on as we discern calling. It takes time, though. Yeah. And so I always say to students when I'm having this conversation, they want the quick and easy. How do I discern it right now? And I'm sorry to tell them, God doesn't do it that way. So the statement I always make to him is, as God cultivates you, he will clarify it for you. So if you want to know, get into the business of being cultivated. Yeah, that's And in word. that process, you tell people often, like, serve God in mm-hmm. a variety of capacities. Right. That's that active service I mean, now, honestly, yeah. sometimes people are like, well, I'm only called to preach, so I'm yeah, not going to no, no, take no. out the trash. Well, that is not how <laughs> God's kingdom works, right? <laughs> and um, so I think we need to be mindful that you look for what needs to be done in the church and that active service now that he's talking about, the sustained seasons of submission. 
you just start serving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as you're serving, God will begin to cultivate what actually your role is in the yeah. body of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Faithful in the small things will make us faithful in the larger. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. That's, That's right. right. How can we establish appropriate boundaries to avoid burnout mm-hmm. in service? Some people, you need a little, you know, to give them a little push to serve. Other people are all in and, and, and their temptation is to overwork and overserve. Right. How do you help people establish boundaries in that regard? <laughs> well, you can, I'd love to hear your thoughts yeah, on this. Um, I don't know that I have a formula here, um, but clearly I, I've watched both of these things happen in yeah. people's lives and ministry. Some folks that are, they're in the ministry, but man, they just really are not dialed in and engaged and giving of themselves to the levels they probably ought to. And then on the flip side of that, there are folks that just go, 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 go until they drop. Mm-hmm. Our life has been intense. I mean, from the moment we got married, we've been going, seems like a hundred miles an hour. And so I don't know that from our life, I can discern a particular rhythm of how we've done it. All I can say is I am pers- I'm blessed and gifted by the Lord in that I'm wired in such a way that I hit a natural point where I can't go anymore and I shut down. <laughs> and I go rest and I go sleep and I need to spend time with her and I need to spend time with the Lord and I need to spend time with my kids. It just kind of naturally starts happening. Um, and the Lord's given us pockets of time to do it. The only thing I can simply say is one needs to be very attentive as a minister of the gospel. Go, 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 but be very, very, very attentive to yourself, to your bride, and to your children. And uh, I think that's probably, for those that are going too hard and burning out, that's probably the critical error they're making is they're just going so hard, but and they're not paying attention to what's happening to their wife or their husband or their children or maybe even to themselves. My body has certain telltale signs. Uh, I might not in my head, might not feel the stress, but I can feel it in my chest, Yeah, yep, you yep. know, for example. And I know in those moments I need to stop and I need to go do something and relax. Um, so I tend to err on, we tend to err on the side of going, going, going. Uh, but I also think we've developed a disposition where we're both very, very mindful of ourselves and each other mm-hmm. and our yeah. kids especially. So, so I would say um, for those who aren't serving to their capacity, maybe they've put up boundaries where they are putting on two si- different sides of a scale, their family and the ministry. And so they feel like if they give more to the ministry, then their family is going to suffer. Um, and I, you often see this, um, or if they give too much to their family, then they're not active in the church. Mm-hmm. And so I think for our family, one thing that we've done is we've incorporated our family into the ministry. And so they're not enemies of each other. This is a holistic lifestyle where we serve the Lord with everything that we have. Yeah. But as far as for those who maybe are going too hard and giving too much where then they they will burn out. Um, I think as an American culture, we do not do well with the fourth command to rest on a Sabbath. Um, I think for people, especially in ministry, Sundays are work days. Yeah. So hard. when else are you taking that Sabbath? And if you're not intentional to plan for that, then life gets busy and uh, just will steamroll right over it. And so one thing that um, I encourage people is if you work with your mind a lot, do something with your hands Mm. that's Sabbath. So for me, I love gardening. I love getting my hands in the dirt and growing flowers and seeing what that beauty brings to our back porch and our backyard. For Jamie, he loves woodworking and doing things with tools. If you're someone who works with your hands, then take a Sabbath where you do something with your mind. Maybe you're going to read a book or listen to a podcast or something. 
but be intentional with your time. We're all given 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If God wanted us to have more than that, he would have created more hours in a day. (laughs) But he created us as limited beings. We're limited in time. We're limited in energy. So make the most of the time that we have um, and be wise stewards of that. Mm -hmm. But um, schedule rest, schedule dates with your husband, schedule family vacations where you take the breaks from work. Our family loves camping and getting out in the woods, and that is a true soul rest for us. Mm. And so I think it's really important that you are actively serving the Lord, but also making sure that you're obeying the command to rest because it's how he created us and we need it. Yeah. Man, I could talk all day on this, but we don't have time to do all the questions that that are coming to my mind as we're talking about this. (laughs) Let me just uh, conclude with this question. This season, we're focusing on spiritual formation, human formation more generally. How is service formative for Mm. us in the Christian life? Mm. Uh, It's a great question. Um, Two things come immediately to mind. One is that it does seem like... um, service is one of the major ideals in formation. In other words, we're forming people so that they can serve, right? Um, I mean, what good is it if we've learned uh, if we've learned Christian theology and we know how to defend it and we know how to articulate it, but then we never actually go do it? Um, it seems that our formation was for, I don't want to say for nothing, because there's more to a formation than just going out and doing but there's no doubt about it. Jesus intends for us to be doers of the word, mm-hmm. right? We're supposed to go. We're supposed to do. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to help. We're supposed to see the poor and supposed to care for them. We're supposed to, um, if, if you watch him, as Tara mentioned earlier, if you watch him through the Gospels, notice who he pays attention to and notice who he reached out to. It, it seems as though his eye was always on the marginalized. And he served them and he blessed them. And so there's a very real sense in which our becoming like him, it translates into service. And so to be formed after him, to, to become more and more in the image of Christ means that I am more and more serving other people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. But I also would say second, on the flip side of that, my serving him actually feeds back and helps me see things in myself that I probably would not have seen, which gives me a greater ability now to be formed. So formation is for service and service is also for formation, mm-hmm. right? They kind of, they have this symbiotic relationship with each other where they, they go hand in glove. So simply put, the Christian has everything to gain by by serving and being formed to serve. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good word. I love this. Our, our mission statement here at New Orleans Seminary is that we want to prepare servants who will walk with Christ, proclaim his truth, and fulfill his mission. Mm. And I think that that encapsulates how your service and the spiritual formation go hand in glove, like Jamie said. If we are going to be servants, then that means we're going to be walking with Christ. We're going to be abiding in his truth, knowing his word, having the fruit of the Spirit be present in our lives. And because of that, we can't help but to proclaim the truth that we know. Mm. We've been entrusted with this gospel, and it's not something we can keep to ourselves. It is this life-transforming hope and power that you talk about things you love. So if you love Jesus, you're going to talk about Mm. him. And then you're going to fulfill his mission. He brought us here. Go and tell. Go and make disciples. It's not this, well optional. It's just not. It's a command for all of us. And so if you are serving, 
then that means number one, you're going to be walking with Christ, but then you're going to mm-hmm. want to proclaim his truth and fulfill his mission. And I'll be honest, sometimes when you're bringing that light into those dark places, as Jamie said, your service itself cultivates in you this spiritual formation. Because as you are expressing mercy to somebody else, you can't help but think of the mercy that was given to you. Mm. If you're showing patience and grace and love to somebody else, you can't help but think about what Christ did for you and be mm. so grateful for that. Mm. And so service and spiritual formation really do go hand in hand. And our faith is dead if we're not mm. living it out. Yeah. yeah. And so if you have an active faith, service is going to be a natural yeah. outflow yeah. of that. Well, this has been fantastic, super uh, helpful, and, and I think it'll be encouraging to our listeners. Thank you both so much for being on the Christ of Culture podcast today. Real quickly, how can people follow you and your work? Uh, well, they can follow what's happening here at NOBTS with all of our social media uh, outlets, both for NOBTS and Level College. Level College is, level is spelled L-E-A-V-E-L-L, so Level College. So on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, those those two things. We are constantly posting what's happening here, which includes our lives. Uh, both of us have those social media accounts as well on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then we have a podcast called The Towel in the Basin, and it's um, it's designed essentially uh, where I, I explore various interests that I have that are, I'm not interested enough in just one single topic to do a podcast about any one thing. So you, what you get there for is a mix on that podcast of very philosophical, theological, heady things mixed with very pastoral things. Uh, mixed with a lot of spiritual formation stuff. Cool. So those three big interests. And if you're a woman listening to this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out prepareher.com. Here at New Orleans Seminary, we say prepare here to serve anywhere. But we really feel like women are important in that calling. And so Prepare Her is all of our women's initiatives here at NOBTS and Level College. And so from academic classes to ministry wives classes to student life events, prepareher.com will have a lot of things for women. And um, if we're ever in your area, uh, whoever's Mm -hmm. listening, we get to travel a lot and we'd love to meet people that way. Fantastic. Thank you both so, so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Now it's time for our listener favorite, On My Bookshelf, the part of the show where professors at Southeastern and friends at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. And today we are delighted to have our scholar in residence here at the Center for Faith and Culture, Dr. Aaron Smith. Dr. Aaron Smith is California Baptist University's Fletcher Jones Endowed Professor of Research and Professor of Psychology. Dr. Smith, what is on your bookshelf right now? So just off the bookshelf, I finished this book yesterday. It's called The Connected Life, The Art and Science of Relational Spirituality, uh, authored by Todd Hall, a clinical psychologist at Biola University. And I, I just really wanted to share this book with your listeners. I think it is a fantastic overview, especially in line with the center's um, focus this year on spiritual formation. So in this book, Dr. Hall um, 
provides an overview of the different ways that we know. So often when we think about knowing, we are inclined to think about our explicit kind of cognitive intellectual structures, things that we know about. But in psychology, there is a rich body of research that suggests that we know things that we cannot articulate, Mm. things that are stored in our unconscious memory systems. Um, This is often where emotions are kind of stored. And so he makes the argument Uh, and really presents a pathway for folks who want to address maybe difficulties in their life. They want to think about how to lean in and live into God's calling on their life. And he presents a model by which we can connect our explicit knowledge. I might know that God loves me and our implicit knowledge structures. I might not feel like God loves me. Mm -hmm. So how do I get those into alignment so that I can live out God's calling on my life? Um, and I think it's it's really well done. It's very accessible. And it has both in the text some very explicit ways that this can connect to church ministry and practice, thinking about small groups and communities um, and even pastoral care. Uh, but then beyond what is explicitly built into that, I think there's lots of implications that individual readers will be able to apply both to their own lives and to the lives of their church. Dr. Smith, thank you for mentioning this book by Todd Hall, The Connected Life. In fact, Dr. Hall is going to be a guest on our podcast next week, so we're looking forward to that. He'll be talking about another book that he wrote called Relational Spirituality, which I think is connected with this book as well. Is that right? That's right. And they're both excellent books. Relational Spirituality, from my read, is a little more academic, um, gets into the weeds of some of the science and the biology and the neurobiology of these processes, whereas The Connected Life is more focused at the psychological level. So for a reader who's interested in this topic, they're both fantastic. For someone who doesn't have time to read both and wants to know how to apply this in their ministries, I would recommend starting with The Connected life. Fantastic. Thank you so much for recommending. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Christ and Culture. If you will, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. 